are you guys doing today? You guys doing well? Awesome. Yeah, why don't you guys grab a seat? I, this is, um, for a number of reasons, this is a fascinating week for me. Um, when Christmas falls midweek, I don't know if you guys are like me, um, how many of you guys got confused what day of the week it was this week? Like, you know, Tuesday rolls around, you're like, is it Monday? Is it Wednesday? For those of you who are retired, you're like, that's every day for me. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, it's like, anyways, but this is a fascinating time of year because one, I, I just really do enjoy that, that week between everything leading up, uh, you know, Advent, just the waiting for, for Christ coming, then the celebration of his coming. And then you get this week in between Christmas and New Year's, which frankly has really minimal, uh, like biblical significance. But culturally, this, this week is interesting because we do celebrate the New Year just a couple days later. And so we're in this week of, of um, yeah, it's just almost like transition. And uh, I love it because what it does for me is it provides me a unique opportunity um, to really um, reflect on the year and just really start processing through things. And um, yeah, what I want to do today is just, just take a few minutes and just kind of let, let you guys into to kind of my, my thoughts on the year, which could be terrifying for some of you guys because you're like, no, I don't want to hear how you're thinking about things. But um, here's kind of where we are. And so I start by thinking through things on a professional uh, level, like where I'm engaged in work and kind of what, what's God doing there. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I have the privilege of providing leadership uh, to Eternity Bible College, which uh, something Cornerstone started uh, almost 15 years ago. Um, and so I start thinking through, wow, what were the various things that, uh, that God did in and through uh, the school this year? Um, and so this is where, uh, just a couple things. Um, this year, we kind of launched a pilot program where uh, we're, we're providing like customized training for various institutions, whether it's churches or missions organizations. But this year, we launched a pilot program with a, with a missions organization, and they're mobilizing about 70 people per year. And um, what they did is they went, hey, rather than having a cookie-cutter approach to training in, in biblical uh, learning, um, how about... How about we actually customize a program based on each individual and what their needs are and what our goals are for them. Saying, hey, if they're going to go to Africa um, and they're going to East Africa and they're serving in a church planting capacity, we want them to have this level of proficiency. And they said, can you customize a training program that way? We said, yeah, because we've actually spent time building resources that are customizable and scalable that way. And so what happened is um, this organization went, wow, what you guys are doing gives us the capacity to train people specifically for the roles that they're going to have, not assuming a one-size-fits-all approach. And so we launched that program this year, and it was met with a lot of success. And now there's some other organizations that are looking at incorporating that. But what, what you guys need to realize is these are things that are happening. Cornerstone has been in deep partnership with us for the last 15 years. And now there are people who are being trained to serve in Africa throughout the continent um, but that you, you probably will never see, you probably will never know because people who are, you know, receiving this training, they don't know Cornerstone, you know, they're not even from here, but yet they're actually out there advancing the gospel and we are participating in that as a church family and through EBC. The other thing that we are, uh, started this year is um, a sliding tuition model because we have students who are literally all over the world um, and one of the things for us was really trying to go, what does it look like to make biblical resources accessible to people, not just... Uh, financially accessible, but also geographically accessible. One of the things we did is going, wow, um, biblical 
education isn't accessible to people um, who are living in other parts of the world. They might desire biblical training. They might even be in a role where they're providing biblical, uh, you know, teaching. They're pastors and, and, and church leaders, but they don't, they don't have access to biblical resources. And, um, and so what we did is we went, wow, based on their local economy, based on what they're capable of earning, and based on the cost of living there, we made, um, yeah, just a, a program available to them. Or we have now students who are, like in Southeast Asia, we have a student who's paying $7 uh, a unit in tuition. And you go, wait, $7? Really? That's, well, based on what he can earn, that's, that's, that's viable for him. But I um, just want to show you just a graphic. I don't know if you can see those dots. There are people now in, um, we have over 230 uh, people serving throughout the world. Uh, who are receiving biblical training, uh, and, and in large part because of, of what Cornerstone is, is doing. Not exclusively, there's a lot of other church partners and, and individual donors and whatnot, but 230 people globally. Um, we have people, almost 400, uh, who are serving in various churches uh, over the last couple of years. But guys, just thank you guys for your part in that. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't share this with you guys. This was uh, something that landed in... Uh, in our inbox, and it's from a student, but it's written to our donors. And so that's written to you guys uh, as a church. And it said, hey, I want to thank you. Uh, so administration, uh, you know, faculty and supporters said, I wanted to thank you for your effort in making eternity all that it is today. There hasn't been one quality um, brick that has been laid in vain, speaking both metaphorically and tangibly. I offer this letter to speak of my experience uh, thus far. The quality of education uh, has been unmatched in my experience. Uh, my education has been less like a magnifying glass and more like a spotlight. I'm being tested and encouraged as a student, as a believer, and as a husband, and so on. Um, I am constantly being challenged, not simply to know more, but functionally grow into all areas in my life. Um, as simple as this may seem, I feel like it's biblical training for real life. You guys teach with biblical excellence, grace, and with a real heart for God's kingdom and the people in it. That makes the school more than a Bible college. Lastly, let me thank you once more. With this education, it's impacting my life, and I mean it sincerely. My marriage is thriving, my joy in the Lord has been deepened, my interactions throughout the day are being blessed. Uh, the way I engage in the workplace is demonstrating biblical maturity. I'm seeing the gospel advance. Thanks for all that you do, and if nothing else, I hope that in days of doubt, this letter is an encouragement to you. So guys... Thank you. I hope that is an encouragement to you because that's written from a guy who's providing some degree of church leadership at a church in, I think, Florida, maybe Nebraska. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but you just go, guys, thank you for what you guys are doing because you guys are playing a part in that. And so over the many years and over 2018, yeah, just thanks. Um, the other thing, just as you think of the the cornerstone as a church. So professionally, I reflect on 2018. Uh, as a church, as a, as a church family, I start thinking through, wow, what are all the things that God's done um, as a church family? And, and so I start asking people, and I, my wife and I, we start talking about it a little bit, and, and, um, and just going, wow, the, the multitude of things that Cornerstone as a church family is engaged with locally. Um, and I know that some of it, you guys have heard, um, just the heart for missions, um, seeing the response last week, even though it was at the very end of 2018, seeing what EJ and Alicia um, just did the process of being sent out from Cornerstone in the process of, of raising support, or Thomas and Laura Shear being here over the year, and um, 
Just seeing a church start to, to own a degree of global engagement, that's, that's awesome. The church sent out uh, one of our own again uh, to Japan this year, uh, Matt Higby. He was here over, I don't know if he's still here or not, he was here last week. Um, but, but going, wow, we actually are sending people and participating in God's work around the world. But we're also participating locally and starting to hear from people and going, man, the countless number of funerals that are hosted by this church is such an incredible outreach to the community. Um, hosting events and banquets for different people, which I know you go, does that even matter? But it's an incredible blessing to the local community. And so what a cool thing. Um, and then as you start thinking through what was taught over the summer or the year, and you go, wow, what did Cornerstone do? And I don't know if you guys remember, um, over the summer, Christian was talking uh, and wa- walked us through a series on what it means to be human. Does that sound vaguely familiar? You're like, I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast. How am I supposed to remember what, you know? But going, yeah, what it meant to be human. And then in the fall, we kind of transitioned and we started talking through, okay, what is, what's going on in, in 2 Corinthians? And so just as I start thinking through, okay, professionally, what, what, what was this year like? And then as a church family, what, what did God do in our lives and hearts? And, and it's just one of those things. I think it's a good exercise to reflect back but as I was thinking through what we were teaching through over the, of the year, I really started pondering 2 Corinthians a little bit and saying, wow, this was written to a, a church that was really struggling with this idea of comfort. And, and they were really committed to comfort, and so they were struggling with the idea of suffering because of their commitment to comfort. And, and so as you guys, as you guys recall, this is kind of over the fall here, going, wow, um, the church at Corinth, where where Paul starts is he says, okay, um, I want you guys to remember a few things that, hey, I'm going to be um, needing to explain why I'm actually a legitimate apostle, you know, of, of Christ because of the suffering going on in my life. And I know you guys are committed to suffering, so what I'm doing doesn't make sense, and my life doesn't make sense. But he says, hey, I want you to understand the level of um, suffering that I'm going through. And so here's where Paul goes. As he says, okay, let's see if I can make this happen. Okay. Um, But where Paul starts is he says, hey, in order for you guys to really understand this, I need you guys to understand like what's, what God's purpose is for humanity. I know this isn't the way we actually framed it, but I actually think it's pretty, pretty brilliant. Um, and I have no clue whether Todd and Christian and, and the guys who are putting this together intended this. I'm going I'm to give them the benefit of the doubt and say yes. Um, but what Christian preached through in the summer of what it means to be human and what Paul does in 2 Corinthians are actually married very closely together. Here's why. Because what Paul does is he says, before you can understand this idea of suffering, you actually have to understand what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is it means to be an image bearer of God. That we are intended to actually put God on display. And so what he does is he says, okay, let's actually actually walk through this for a second. And I want you just to see this because this this is so important to understanding Paul's argument here. So if you guys have a Bible, and again, this is all part of me reflecting on 2018. So we're not gonna actually spend a ton of time here, by the way, but this is actually part of this understanding what's going on in my, my heart for, the, for this year. But watch this, in 2 Corinthians uh, 
But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Okay, stop. I don't know. You get, this, is, this is where I'm going to actually start drawing on, on your guys' memories because I'm not going to re-preach what Todd preached years ago or years ago, months ago. Um, but you guys remember when Todd preached on this idea of a triumphal procession. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Okay, good. For those of you who are like, I have no clue. Guys, this is, this is actually a really cool exercise, I think, because it's good for us to be reminded that we are a part of something that's bigger than just one Sunday every once in a while. That this is actually strung together over months and years and that there's a global church and there's, like, this is not just a one-time, one-off, you know, once-a-week kind of a gig, but this is actually something that's, you know, we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. But going, guys, what was going on here is this, this triumphal procession of, and I thought Todd did a brilliant job of painting a picture of the Roman conquest. And when, when Rome would go into a, a city or a community and they would conquer, the king would lead a procession and the victor would be out in front and those who were conquered would be trailing behind. Does that make sense? You guys kind of remember that? And the question then is, oh, wow. But why? And so when we look at 2.14, guys, the reason they would actually do this procession is to put the victor on display. It's parading. It's a victory lap. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? But why? To make the victor known. This is, what, this is what's going on here in 2 Corinthians 2.14, the idea of making God's victory known. Okay, keep going. Uh, in 3.3, we were talking through this idea of um, the, the, the church at Corinth wanted Paul's credentials. They wanted a letter uh, or basically his resume and his CV. And what happens is Paul says, hey, you don't need my CV. Look at your own life. Look at your transformed heart. And, and you get to 3.3, and what does it say? It says, and you show them the letter that's written on your heart. And it's a demonstration of God's work. But again, it's this idea of manifesting or showing or displaying the work of God in the hearts of people. Why? So that God's work can be known. Keep going, 4.10 and 11. It's, you go, okay, what's going on here? We see Paul saying, okay, um, here he actually uses this word manifest, but he says, okay, that we're always carrying around in, the, in death, I'm sorry, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Guys, we are living as those who are putting on display this idea of manifesting the life and death of Jesus. But again, what's Paul doing? Paul's arguing back to this idea, it's our job to reflect, to make God known, this idea of uh, manifest. It's not a word that we use often, but it's this idea of manifesting God, putting God on display. That, are you guys tracking a little bit? But, but Paul, it's, it's, this is essential to Paul's development. So those are things that are very explicit, very much stated. Hey, we, we intend as people to put God on display, to make God known. And, but then there's also things that are implied. Um, in 3.18, I don't know if you guys remember this, Christian preached through this, um, and this is where 
uh, Paul was talking about the reality of the new covenant and he's appealing back to Moses. And he says, and we with unveiled face are mirroring, and some translations in 3.18 will say beholding, but some translations will say reflecting, okay? The literal word means to mirror, and that's where you get some confusion in the translation because if you think about a mirror, uh, can you behold things in a mirror? Like if you look in a mirror, sometimes you see things that come back at, you know, and you see it's what you're beholding, right? What you're looking at. But then what else do mirrors do? Mirrors also reflect, right? So if I angled a mirror properly, you know, Miles would be able to see whatever I'm pointing it to, right? And so it's not looking into it and seeing yourself, but it's seeing something else. Does that kind of make sense? This idea of mirroring, kind of, sort of? Like three of you are tracking with me. Like a couple hundred of you are like, what are you talking about? Okay, evidently there's these things called mirrors and they reflect, okay? I don't know if you guys knew that or not. They do. Um, But now watch this. In 3.18, Paul says, hey, you know what? Um, It's essential to you guys to remember that in light of the new covenant, just like Moses' face shone and reflected the glory of God, we are to mirror, we are to reflect God to the world. In light of the new covenant, we are to reflect God to the world. It's this idea of making him known. In 5.20, you guys get to this idea of in light of being a new creation. I don't know if you guys remember this one. Thomas, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I don't remember, a long time ago, uh, sometime in November, he was talking about God making all things new. And in light of God making all things new, we are now ambassadors of Christ. Really quickly, what does an ambassador do? Anybody here ever served as an ambassador? Represents who? Yeah, the country or the authority, right? But they are a representation, a representative of the the authority, of the country, right? And so if we are the ambassadors of Christ, what are we? We are the embodiment of that authority. Does that make sense to you guys? Again, this whole argument is being developed throughout 2 Corinthians that it is our job, sorry, it's the church's job in Corinth to remember that, hey, Part of being human is to put God on display, to make God known. And that's essential if you're going to understand suffering. Why? Because if the primary purpose of humanity is to make God known, can you do this when you're in the midst of suffering? Yes. If the primary goal of humanity is comfort, can you do that in the midst of hardship? No, no, look up here again, because this is, this is essential to understanding this. If the primary purpose of humanity is to make God known, to be image bearers, can we do that in the midst of suffering? Yes. Okay. Well, well how? Well, it depends, right? Because you have to go, well, what, what kind of suffering are we talking about? Well, for some people, um, guys, suffering is going to be understood in light of physical ailment. Man, you know what? Um, Okay, my health is poor. I'm physically afflicted. I have limited capacity. Can that person still actually put God on display and make God known in the midst of their physical ailment? Absolutely. Okay. Um, For some people, it might be relational difficulty. 
man, you know what? Relationship with their parents or their siblings or their kids or friends, neighbors, coworkers. And, and that starts to become incredibly burdensome. I don't know if you guys experience this at all. There are some people evidently who have really tough relational situations. Who knew? Um, yeah, anybody with kids, anybody with parents? I mean, yes, we're all, you know. But can somebody in the midst of relational difficulty still put God on display? Absolutely. But what happens if it's financial difficulty? Can you still put God on display in the midst of financial difficulty? Sure, all of a sudden you go, okay, I, 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 can, I can pick up a rhythm here of going, it doesn't matter what kind of difficulty or what kind of affliction, but I can fulfill God's intention for my life as a human if I realize my primary purpose is to put God on display, to make God known, to be an image bearer. But if the primary goal of humanity, the primary goal in my life, the primary goal for the Corinthians was comfort, can I actually be comfortable in the midst of financial hardship? No. Can I be comfortable in the midst of relational difficulty? No, no. It's, it's, it's impossible. If the primary goal is comfort and you're being afflicted, you're gonna, they're, they're, it's not going to make sense. Does this kind of make sense to you guys? And so as I'm processing through 2018, these are the things that I'm thinking through. And I'm walking through this book and going, oh my goodness. And this is where um, it starts to hit me. Um, we'll get there in just a second. Um, guys, it starts to hit me. Wow, we can actually fulfill our created purpose, our in God's intention for our lives as image bearers, if we actually consider that suffering is a means for us to put God on display. Why? Because what happens in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, because wow, when I'm experiencing this affliction, what does it produce? It produces dependency. Whoa, that's so difficult. I don't like to be dependent. And this is where I'll circle back to where Todd was a number of months ago in 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us through a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Guys, this triumphal procession, I think, is really key to understanding where the book is so far. It's not going to make any sense. Suffering will make no sense. Affliction will make no sense. Being an image bearer will make no sense unless you understand that we are not the ones who are at the front end of that procession. We are not the victor. We are the conquered ones. We are the trophies of Christ's victory. And that's the only way that we can actually deal with affliction in a way that actually puts God on display. Because if you still think you're the one in charge, this stuff will not make sense. Suffering well will not make sense. It's only when we take the posture of one who has been conquered, saying, oh, you know what? Jesus is king, Jesus won, I'll submit to that. If you're still fighting to actually, you know, hold on to authority, guys, everything Paul's doing won't make sense. 
all of the arguments Paul has, they won't make sense. And so as I'm thinking through the year, I get to this, and this is where, guys, I'm going to be honest here. Um, I'm an arrogant, you can fill in the rest. Um, it, there's a lot of words you could use, but use your imagination, or don't, don't use your imaginations and just try, you know. Like, as I, I'm, an, I'm an arrogant guy. I struggle with pride. I really do. Um, and there's a lot of you who would affirm that. Um, really, only like four of you laugh? That's, that's encouraging. That's, that's good. So I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking through the year, I transition away from, okay, what God's doing in my life professionally, what God's doing in my life church family-wise, and I get to this point of reflection of going, okay, what's God doing in my heart personally? And this is what happened. Um, I get to this point of 2 Corinthians 2, and I start to think, man, I, I, well, here, let me, let me hit the pause button. How many of you guys have ever been sitting out where you are right now, and you hear something, and you want to elbow the person next to you, usually a spouse or a kid, and you go, you need to hear that. Has anybody ever thought that? Not that you would ever do it, but you've thought that. Okay, yeah, a couple of you. Um, guys, this is what I did. I did this, but I didn't do it with my wife or my kids. I did it with the church. I did it with all of us. I went, oh, man, we as a church need to hear this. Is that true? Yes. But what hadn't happened yet was I hadn't gone, oh, no, no, I need to hear this. And I, and I started in my arrogance to go, oh, all the staff at Cornerstone, all those people who are sitting next to me, you all need to hear this. You all need to remember that Jesus won. And I hadn't quite allowed that reflection of 2018 to land in my heart personally yet. And so God kind of took me to the woodshed on this one and went, hey, um, how are you doing this way? And here's what happened. I started to process through all of 2 Corinthians, all, where we've gone so far. And I started to realize this. Um, man, you know what? Um, where we're going in 2 Corinthians, well, I think we just finished chapter 6. Um, Christian jumped ahead to uh, chapter 8 last week. But where he'll be next week is in chapter 7. And in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul draws out this idea of uh, two kinds of sorrow. And he says, man, you know what? I hope that you've been led to a point of sorrow, but not just sorrow that is sorrowful, but sorrow that leads to repentance. And he starts to draw out how there's two kinds of sorrow. Okay, I know, I know that's where we're going. But again, I'm processing through where, where we've been and going, man, have we, and again, because I'm, 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 I'm in the mo, I'm in this tension of like, well, am I going to focus on all y'all or am I going to focus on my own heart? And I think there's a both and in this, by the way. I go, man, are we functioning as those who are conquered or are we still trying to fight for control? Wow. I don't know. Man, because we, we didn't stop there for long. We kind of went on to the next week, right? And then the, the couple weeks later, um, you know, Todd was talking through, have we yoked ourselves to the thinking and the pattern of this world? And, and I was real quick to go, yeah, you know what? All you guys have done that. 
I don't know if you guys notice that, but you should look at people around you and go, man, they, they actually absolutely have done this. Paul, that's you. No. <laughs> but going, guys, we, and I started focusing on everyone else. And, and what was great, though, is that God brought me to a point of going, no. I mean, yes, you guys need to do this too, but going, no, you, me, Spencer, you need to actually allow yourself to pause, not get so caught up in going through the content that you actually forget the heart behind what's going on here. Wow, am I so committed to comfort that I've actually become comfortable just going through the text, talking about comfort, but never actually pausing long enough to allow it to impact my heart. Wow, am I so committed to comfort that I don't actually even engage in introspection and reflection that is just thinking through, how does this actually impact my life? Because I'll come the next Sunday and I'll hear new information, but I've never even processed the previous information. And so as I reflected on 2018, guys, I had to pause and just go, man, where am I seeking comfort? And I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not going to say something here that is, um, it's not going to be universal. I'm not trying to speak to all of you guys. I'm trying to share my heart, and hopefully you guys will, will understand the principle behind it. Um, guys, I started thinking through Comfort for me is largely uh, uh, related to finance, and it's financial comfort. And as I start thinking through the book, start thinking through financial security. I was sharing with you guys earlier about um, what's happening at uh, Eternity. E Eternity Bible College, from its beginning, has always been donor-driven. Um, our our tuition covers a, a good chunk of the, the our operating costs, but for the most part, we we everything else is generated from contributions. And so there's never been a lot of financial stability with the school. That affects me personally. Now, again, it's not a plea for money or anything. I'm just giving you guys a, a snapshot into my heart. And so for the last number of years, I've always been like anxious about finances, both for me and for the institution. And I'm seeking comfort in our finances. Now, the, here's the thing that's crazy, is if you look back, has God been faithful to provide? Absolutely. But nonetheless, as I'm thinking through this year, I start to go, where do I seek comfort? And I start to realize, wow, I really do struggle with this idea of financial security. And I start going, wow, am I functioning as one who is conquered and is defeated? Am I trying to approach finances and God's provision from a, a perspective where Jesus is the victor? Or am I trying to do it in such a way that I'm the one in charge? Oh, guys, there's a real, just if I'm being real honest, that's not an either or proposition. I, I don't know how you guys deal with sin, but you go, guys, I, it's not like, oh, I've got it. I finally figured it out. I don't struggle anymore. But going, oh, wow, some days, yes, some days, no. And going, man. And then you go, wow, go to 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Have I yoked myself to the pattern of this world when it comes to Finances and financial security. Guys, if I'm being honest, yes. 
in going, man, because I've started to look and go, wow, we need to have X amount of dollars in reserve in order to, to be comfortable. Oh, man. And I start to realize, man, I've put and allowed myself to be influenced and shaped. I've yoked myself to the thinking of this world. Wow, I've actually, I've stopped functioning as one who is conquered, and I'm trying to be the victor. Man, okay, time out. What does it look like for me in this moment to remember, okay, in a state of financial uncertainty, how can I put Jesus on display? Because that's the goal. That's what I have to do. And what that does is it leads me to a point of dependence. And going, guys, that's not a bad place. But what it requires is an incredible sense of of going, okay, God, where am I in the midst of 2 Corinthians? We've been in this book for like five months. Have I paused long enough to go, wow, where am I in light of this book? Where am I seeking comfort? Do I even, and, and I, would, I would challenge you guys to do the same, by the way. Going, where is it that you are seeking comfort? For some of you guys, it might be like me, where you're seeking comfort in regards to, to financial security and comfort. For others, it might be you're seeking comfort relationally. For someone else, it might be you're seeking comfort in regards to your physical health. And going, guys, so, so I would just invite you to, to go through the same process I did. Are you, as you, well, one, are you even giving yourself space to think about where we've been? Are we so eager to move on to the next thing that it just becomes information that's coming to us, but we never actually pause long enough to allow it to impact our hearts and lives? If you do give yourself space to process, do you actually process as one who is functioning from a place of being conquered? That Jesus is in charge, not you. Jesus, how would you have us respond with difficult relationships? Jesus, how would you have us respond in regards to our physical limitations? Jesus, how would you have us respond to whatever the the struggle is? Guys, and when we start to do that, Maybe then we get to a point where we go, wow, how am I starting to think more like the world? Because if I yoke myself to the world, I will not be able to put Jesus on display well. I can't. And guys, this is where it led me in 2018 to reflect. And it really does lead me right into where Christian will be preaching next week of going, guys, when I realized that in my pursuit of comfort, And like I said, for me, it's very specific, very much pursuit of financial comfort. In my pursuit of financial comfort, I stopped looking anything different than the rest of the world. I was doing the same things that the world was doing. I was living with the same concerns the world was. There was nothing differentiating me from my neighbor. And as such, I wasn't modeling good news. I wasn't living any differently. I was fundamentally not doing what God had called me to do as a human, which is to put him on display. Guys, that broke my heart because I started to feel the weight of failure. 
and going, wow, the very purpose for which God has created me is to put him on display. And I'm not doing that well. I'm not doing that well in regards to my finances. I'm not doing that well. And if I'm, and if I'm being really honest, guys, I don't think a lot of us are doing that well. Because we're living, we've yoked ourselves to the world. And so the question is, do we give ourselves enough space to process? And if we process, do we get led to a point of being broken? And guys, the beauty of that is in that brokenness, in that feeling of immense sorrow. We don't have to stay there, but that there's hope. But sometimes I think we rush to hope without feeling the weight of sin and the weight of failing and the weight of going, oh yeah, this is yucky, this is gross. And going, guys, as we kind of wrap up 2018, not to end it on a downer, but just going, guys, don't be afraid to pause and just deal with the reality of our failings and feel the brokenness of that, but realize you don't have to stay in that brokenness either. But sometimes feeling that and feeling that tension is a really good thing. And so as I reflect on 2018, guys, yeah, there's a professional aspect. Yeah, I'm more than happy to share with you guys the problems you guys have. But I also think I have to um, look at my own heart and go, God, what is it that you're doing in my heart? And then collectively, what can we all do to go, man, you know what? Second Corinthians isn't just a book that was written there, and it's a bunch of data that we need to input into our lives. It actually is something that was written years ago that, that does have a lot of content that we need to integrate into our life, but we also have to pause long enough to go, okay, God, how is it that that quest of comfort is manifested in my heart? And how might I, just like the church in Corinth, need to be reminded that I need to actually consider what it means to put you on display And when I am confronted with that failure, just like what happens in chapter 7 where Paul says, I'm glad you got brought to a point of sorrow. But it was a sorrow that led to repentance. Because there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance and a sorrow that leads to death. He goes, I'm so thankful you guys were brought to a point of sorrow that led to repentance a changing, a turning. And guys, the only way that's possible is through the redemptive work of Jesus. And so for that, I'm super, super thankful and excited to be where we're gonna be starting 2019 next week of going, man, looking at the result of sorrow leading into what repentance might look like. But in light of that, I think it's good for us to go, man, let's, let's actually take some time to create space to reflect on the year, and if we get led to a point of sorrow, praise God for that. But I hope it's not just a sorrow that leads to feeling bad. I hope it's a sorrow that leads to repentance, and that's where we'll be talking next week. Is that fair? So guys, thanks for letting me reflect with you guys on 2018. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for being a God who loves us, for being a God who... um, God, you know the past. You know what 2018 looked like. Uh, But you also know what 2019 is going to look like. God, as a church, God, would would you give us space to actually identify where we collectively are yoking ourselves to the pattern of the world? And then as a bunch of individuals, would you give us space to process where we are yoking ourselves to the thinking of this world and also 
where we are functioning as ones who are not yet conquered, but we're still fighting for control. And again, God, would you just break our hearts for the things that, that break yours? God, thanks. In your name, amen.